Well, uh, what is the most tired that you have ever been? Oh, interesting murmur. <laughs> have you ever stayed up all night to get something done for work or for school? What's it like in the 40th year of your career? That sounds tiring. Uh, uh, maybe it's that six months after you've had a baby, which is six months after you've slept more than one hour a night, isn't it? Uh, what does it feel like on the last day of harvest? What's the most tired you've ever been? The most tired I've ever been is uh, after our, our national conference, uh, uh, the national training event, we call it NTE, and it's in December. I'm, I know it's the last thing of the year. I've been running and leading groups all week. I've been running a mission team. I haven't been sleeping in my own bed for ages. I know that I've just got to run hard and then I'll get a break over Christmas. That's the most tired I've ever been. What's the most tired you've ever been? What you'll find after not too long in the Christian life is that Christian service is exhausting. Isn't it exhausting? Because Christian service is meant to be... um, Uh, uh, selfless service. You pour yourself out for others. You pour out and you pour out and eventually you run out of self to pour. And you feel emotionally empty, physically and mentally tired. And Christian service is exhausting as well because, well, we're all busy. We're already busy with work or family or sport or cleaning or laundry and I just want a moment to myself before Bible study. And then I have to go to Bible study. Service is a bit like breathing out. And uh, you, you never get the chance to breathe in again. Do you know this feeling? Maybe you don't. Maybe you've got the capacity to serve more at the moment. But sooner or later you will know this feeling. Sometimes it hits you after years of teaching kids church. Sometimes it's uh, a full year on the music team without any weeks off. Or sometimes it might just be... Three weeks of leading a Bible study, and that's just the straw that broke the camel's back. As you live the Christian life and you look to serve the Lord and his people, you will at times feel like you are starting to sink under the weight of your Christian service. So these next three weeks is dedicated to hearing God speak about how to serve him and his people well. This morning we'll think first about Jesus, our servant king. He is our servant. Next week we'll think about how to serve God well, and then the third week we'll think about how to serve others well. But this week we're thinking about our Lord Jesus, the servant king. So here's the key idea for this morning. Ultimately, we don't serve Jesus, he serves us. We don't serve Jesus, he serves us. And uh, we're in Mark chapter 10, and we'll take verse 45 basically as our structure for tonight. So here's our outline, it's on this, and uh, I think I've got a slide for it as well, perhaps. There we go. The Son of Man came not to be served, thirdly, but to serve, and fourth, to give his life as a ransom. So we start at point one, the Son of Man came. Now in verse 45 of Mark chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man which is a bit like a royal title. It kind of crosses over with the title Messiah or Christ, who is God's long-promised king, the Son of Man. He's a royal figure that we expect to appear at the end of time to rule God's people. He is an impressive 
figure. So uh, we'll have a look at, at Daniel chapter 7. Uh, there was a slide for this as well. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, like a human, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So isn't this guy impressive? He is an impressive guy who you want to be serving. This is someone you want to follow. You would want to serve this kind of wonderful figure. Now, when you think of a king, I'm sure I know who comes to mind first. It's got to be this guy, doesn't it? No, surely you've been paying attention to the news and you know it's actually our brand new king, King Charles. Uh, but is he the kind of king you would want to devote a life of service to? I'm sure that there are some more devoted royalists out there than others, but I don't know if many Aussies will be following King Charles into battle. This is the guy I think of when I think of the quintessential English king. Who is this? Henry VIII. Very good. Henry VIII. Oh, man, he was worth serving. An impressive man, good sportsman, very good looking. In his time, I probably was. Uh, Very uh, charismatic, very smart. He was a ruler worth following. But he pales in comparison to the Son of Man. The Son of Man is without parallel. Yep, God the Son, he rules all things because he created all things. He is the ultimate king. So this is in the back of the minds of James and John when they, in Mark chapter 10, verse 37, ask if they can have positions of power in his coming kingdom. So we'll read Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Interesting question. Verse 36, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. Verse 37, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. They know that Jesus is this impressive royal figure who has come and, well, they want a piece of the action. And let's be honest, if you saw an opportunity for some eternal career advancement, saw an opening, wouldn't you try and take it? But, well, Jesus' answer is a bit obscure. Essentially, he says no. And it becomes clear that these disciples have not understood the nature of greatness or the nature of service. They have rightly recognised something about Jesus, that he is great, that he is a king, that they know that he is deserving of service. But they've misunderstood something very, very important about the Lord Jesus. And it is this, he did not come to be served. This is point two, not to be served. This is not who Jesus is. And so it is not who his followers are to be either. If you follow Jesus, your life cannot be about being served. So to see how Jesus responds to uh, to his disciples in verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. 
Not so with you. This was how power was exercised in the ancient world, lording it over them. Actually, it's, it's how power is, is exercised today, isn't it? Give someone a position of authority and, and watch them use it to their own advantage. Who did we vote to be our, our representative in the New South Wales Parliament? Yes, his, his Daryl. We gave him a position of authority and, well, it seems that he, he used it to his own advantage. Not so with you says Jesus. Followers of Jesus are not to seek power so that they might be served, just as Jesus did not come to be served. Instead, point three, Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to serve. And so that is how his people are to live as well as servants of others. Verse 43, not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Do you see what what Jesus is doing here? He He is turning everything upside down. Those who think, uh, those who we think are are great amongst us, they are, those who we think are worthy to be served. Actually, they're not great. And those servants, those, what was the word? Slaves, who in the world's eyes are not great. They are the great ones in God's kingdom. It's not the pop stars who are great, but it's the ones cleaning up after the concert who are great. The Christian life is a life of service. Now, when you're tired, isn't this the last thing you want to hear? I just want a break. I go back to bed. Uh, but this is precisely what we're working on over the next three weeks. How do you serve Jesus like he is describing here, yet not sink under the weight of it? Well, here's the key. Jesus did not come so that you might serve him, but so that he might serve you. Verse 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. Imagine a knock on your door. King Charles III, with a mop and bucket in hand, and he's come to clean your dunny. It's nonsense, isn't it? It's nonsense to expect the king, the lord of the universe, Jesus, to serve us. But here it is. His reason for being here, to serve. This means that your relationship with Jesus is never determined by how well you serve him. It is determined by how he serves you. And here's how he serves you. He gives his life as a ransom. He's point four. He gives his life as a ransom. Verse 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life. Jesus is talking about the cross. He knows where he's going. And he's he's not saying that his life was taken from him at the cross. No, he's saying that he, he gives his life. He gives his life. This is an intentional thing that Jesus does. The cross is on purpose. So notice, firstly, Jesus serves you by giving his life. 
And secondly, notice also what the cross achieves. Jesus speaks of his death as a ransom. You know what a ransom is? It's a a payment to free a captive. So here's a a picture of a soccer player. This is John Obi Mikel playing for Chelsea, former captain of Nigeria. And this has happened to a few Nigerian soccer players over the last couple of years. Soccer players earn lots of money, so sometimes family members get kidnapped and held to ransom. So uh, John Obi Mikel's father was kidnapped not once but twice, 2011 and in 2018. Uh, in 2008, Joseph Yobo's brother was kidnapped. Uh, Samuel, uh, Solomon Kalu's mother was kidnapped in 2019. Uh, for John Obi Mikel's father, they demanded $138,000 US as a ransom, uh, which was paid. Uh, uh, it was his mother, sorry, and she was freed. Ransoms liberate captive people. This is how Jesus pictures his death in Mark chapter 10, as liberating captive people. In the ancient world, though, you don't have sports stars' parents who are kidnapped. No, you've got slavery everywhere. Ransoms liberate slaves. In the ancient world, uh, slaves worked in in the fields. There's a picture of them working in the fields. Uh, (laughs) Maybe if you're off a farm, sometimes you know what this feels like. Uh, Slaves served wine at dinner parties. Here's another picture. They served wine at dinner parties. Any hospitality workers here? Yes, you know what this feels like too. But you might not know what this feels like. Slaves also worked in chain gangs, treated as property, not people. Slavery, generally speaking, was something you wanted to be freed from and it is something that you're stuck in. And it's, it's all over the ancient world. So when Jesus says this to his disciples, it hits them like it doesn't hit us. They, they get it like we don't. They get what it means for people to be ransomed. We're not just talking about people in Africa who are kidnapped, which is away from our experience. No, uh, these are people on your street. These are people maybe in your household. Maybe it is you who needs to be ransomed. What would it mean to a slave to be ransomed out of slavery, to be given their freedom? This is just what God did for his people in Egypt. We've, we've read the Exodus recently, haven't we? And God freed them from slavery. He ransomed them. Makes me think of uh, Isaiah's promise in, in chapter 43 of Isaiah to ransom uh, God's promise to ransom his people from exile in Babylon. This is what God does. He ransoms his people and he sets Israel free. And this is how our king serves us, by buying our freedom. And a great personal cost too, the cost of his very life. What a servant the Lord Jesus is. Maybe it's not quite right to say that we are ransomed into freedom though, is it? We are ransomed, but we are not free. We are, how does... The New Testament put it, we are bought by a new owner. Not set free to do whatever we want, but bought by the servant king to serve him and his people. This is where we'll pick up next week, though. So for this morning, let's draw some threads together. We we want to be able to serve the Lord and his people without sinking under the weight of it. So this morning, we've locked in the solid foundation that the Lord Jesus is a king who serves. He doesn't need you to serve him. 
You're the one stuck in slavery. You need him to serve you. Your relationship with Jesus is never determined by how well you serve him. It's determined by how he serves you and he has given his life for you. That is service. So the pressure is not on you to serve. He doesn't need you to serve him. You need him to serve you. So praise the Lord for his grace and all his mercies by which he serves us and makes us a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Amen.